This week, Perspective reflects on the lifelong service and sad passing of Queen Elizabeth II, Lord of Man. Many current and former Tinwald members have spoken to Manx Radio in the past few days. We begin with the Chief Minister's tribute. The death of Her Majesty the Queen will have been met with a sense of profound sadness by people across the Isle of Man, as indeed it has been by those across the British Isles and throughout the world. Across our island there will be hundreds, if not thousands of you who will in some small way have interacted with Her Majesty, whether that have been serving in her armed forces as I was privileged to do, or serving on public duty with the constabulary and other public bodies, sworn oaths of allegiance, or have simply taken time to interact with her whilst she was in attendance at public functions. And also we have seen our Lord of Man as a mother, grandmother and great-grandmother. She has provided us all with a greater sense of family and belonging, bringing the British Isles together at times of trial and tribulation. Her Majesty the Queen, our Lord of Man, has been an absolute constant throughout my lifetime and the lifetimes of the vast majority of people alive today. She has spent her whole adult life serving with dignity, purpose and fortitude and has provided an example to us all. Her Majesty has been a remarkable sovereign and Lord of Man in so many ways. I am sure that she will leave us all with many memories associated with her reign. The Isle of Man joins our extended family across the British Isles in sadness and tribute. Our thoughts and prayers are now with King Charles and the royal family. Rest in peace, Your Majesty. Just a few moments ago, King Charles III was proclaimed as the Lord of Man at Government House, the proclamation being read by the Lieutenant Governor. There will follow this Friday at Tinwald sitting at St John's at which a second proclamation will be made from Tinwald Hill, the ancient seat of the kings and lords of man. Following this, a resolution of loyalty and condolence will be put before a sitting of Tinwald Court in the Royal Chapel. Speaker of the House of Keys, Dewan Watterson, found time to talk to me about the ceremony. Mr Speaker, you are, of course, uh, Speaker of the House of Keys, which is a very formal position, formal role, but also a constituency MHK. Um, what do you think your constituents are thinking at the moment? Well, I, I think what's going on in Russian is the same as being felt uh, around the, uh, the Isle of Man and indeed the British Isles and the wider Commonwealth, which is uh, around the loss of someone who has been a, a totemic figure um, in world politics, in, in the world stage, um, for s so long. Um, and people, uh, even a generation ahead of me, who have not known life with any other monarch. So uh, this is a really big time. This is a changing time, um, a time to reflect on what has been and what is yet to come. Um, but in an, a period of so much uncertainty, this is another uncertainty to add. And um, it does add to that sort of insecurity of uncertain times. And, and that does reflect very much in the mood uh, on the street at the moment. And, and I suppose uh, mm. going to your formal role, uh, Speaker of the House of Keys, mm. and uh, you know, the role that you have in terms of uh, the whole Tinwald uh, mm. uh, arrangements and everything, um, the, there is a, a formal process that needs to be undertaken, isn't there? Indeed. And... Um, 
there is a proclamation process for announcing the new Lord of Man, um, and that starts with the governor, uh, who will have a, a proclamation uh, ceremony. That that is then followed up by um, a, shall we say, a, a Tinwell Day-like uh, proclamation ceremony. The last time that was done, of course, was 1952, so... Um, there's been an awful lot of planning for it, but uh, it basically is something like Tinwell Day, um, where we would uh, assemble in the Royal Chapel at St. John's, uh, have a church service, then process out to the hill where the proclamation will be read out by the governor and the new king, Lord of Man, will be proclaimed to the people of the island. And we've been doing this uh, ever since at least 1820 and probably before that, but you know what we're like, we're not good at writing things down um, in, in our earlier history. So this is part of that peculiarly Manx process. Tinwalder, an institution of a thousand years, has seen successive monarchs from successive parts of the world, whether they be Viking kings, Manx kings, Scots kings, or uh, from, from the United Kingdom. And they follow that, that long line, that long pattern uh, of proclamation to the people in the same way that we do proclaim our laws to the people every year on Tinwald Day. And, and that... Tinwald, Tinwald Light, for want of a better words, uh, better word, is um, uh, will will include the the same um, occupants of the hill. That's right. That the proclamation ceremony, which is likely to be at the end of next week, um, will uh, include all the members of Tinwald Court, um, the governor, the president, myself, the members of the Legislative Council, and the House of Keys. Um, it will include representatives of the church, uh, civic society. Uh, so. It will be very similar to a Tinwell Day in terms of the attendees. The captains of the parish uh, will be able to attend as well. Um, but the feel, the mood will be no doubt more solemn. Um, it's less of a celebration of that parliamentary history and far more um, a mixed reaction of thanksgiving for the life of the late majesty, but also about proclaiming King Charles as the Lord of Man. And, and in terms of that whole process, is it, I mean, it, presumably if you don't make that pro- proclamation, then uh, effectively Tinwell doesn't function. Is, is, is it as bad or as, as <clears throat> significant as that, or is the... Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, as you know, in, a, in an institution as old and dignified as Tinwell, we, we put a lot of store in our traditions. Um, and whilst I don't doubt the legality of... of <laughs> the new lord of man and, and any actions taken um it is part of that tradition going going back into history going back over time that we recognize the monarch the lord of man uh, in that appropriate way as the person where tinwald derives its powers from ultimately one of the other things that will of course have happened in the meantime is that the sitting of tinwald that was due to take place in the coming days that will be put back until after the, the funeral uh, so the public accounts committee hearing that was going to be the prelude to that as well will also be put back as a mark of respect during the period of mourning until the the funeral has happened which as we know is likely to be a week monday so uh, there is a pause on parliamentary activity for about a week um, during that period of mourning and in terms then of uh, of that delay obviously uh, potentially then councillor ministers can uh, <coughs> review uh, what they have already put to Tinwell, potentially review what uh, the uk government was announcing as as news started to feed through of uh, of, of the the perilous state of the uh, the former now uh, monarch 
yes, and, and while now isn't the time to talk politics and policy, uh, that there is that delay, but government will continue. Government will continue to function. Um, all of the arms of government delivering public services will continue as usual, but for parliamentary processes, they just take a pause for that short period. Presumably the, 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 the ceremony which takes place at St John's, this will be uh, broadcast by uh, Manx Radio as, as a normal Timbald sitting at St John's would be. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a public uh, sitting uh, uh, of Court of Tinwald. Um, the church uh, seats will be assigned, so there won't necessarily be uh, space for public in the same way that there is on, on Tinwald Day, that the seats will all be assigned. Um, but the public are more than welcome to come along to St John's to uh, see the, the, the procession and the proclamation on the hill, and there will, of course, be more details around that being published very soon. Former Chief Minister, Speaker and MHK, Tony Brown, reflected on the life of the late Queen. Yeah, my reflections, I have quite a lot because I was fortunate enough to first actually meet the Queen um, in 1979 when I was uh, Vice Chairman of Castletown Commissioners and she opened the QE2 school. Um, I'd seen her before then. I remember when I worked at the uh, Alaman Electricity Board and I was in the Castletown shop and uh, she processed down through Castle Street and I was in my usual scruffs like everybody else who was working, leaning against the door, watching Her Majesty go by and saying, oh, so that's the Queen. Um, so that's a long time ago. That That is quite a long time ago. Um, but, I mean, I've, I've had some uh, wonderful, uh, and I've been very privileged to meet her on about six or seven occasions and to speak with her. And uh, she is what everyone says. I mean, she was a, a wonderful lady. And... and uh... Sadly, of course, uh, no longer with us, but uh, the, uh, the the people of the Isle of Man, uh, I mean, obviously not everybody uh, uh, is a royalist, but uh, an awful lot of people in the Isle of Man will be, will be reflecting on a very long and uh, successful uh, life from the now uh, late Queen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Isle of Man is fortunate in, in a number of ways. Um, and we have a special relationship because we're not part of the United Kingdom um, and uh, because we're a crown dependency, therefore, like Jersey and Guernsey, we're directly under the Queen's estate, if, if I use that term in that sense. Um, our relationship is somewhat different. And of course, as we all know, we have a, a lieutenant governor who represents the Queen. Um, but of course, the uh, these days, the uh, Queen, the governor don't interfere in and don't um, manage the Isle of Man, which is what used to happen. We now have our own government. We've moved a long way since the uh, mid-1980s and uh, we've established a ministerial system that works well for the Isle of Man. And that means that our relationship is somewhat slightly different because the governor clearly is representative of the Queen. He appoints the ministers. Um, and I think the island looks at it slightly different. I, I think there's a lot of people who are very supportive of, of royalists, and, and we understand that. Um, but there's a lot of people get a lot of comfort that the head of state is actually the queen, and now it will be the king. And uh, from that, they feel that sort of, if you like, comfort overseeing us, uh, not interfering with us, but making sure we're okay. I think there's a lot of people who think that way. And, of course, there are people who don't agree with a, a system where uh, the crown uh, has representation at all in the Isle of Man. Um, but I think if you look at it in general terms, it served us well. It has safeguarded us in many ways. And I think as our democracy 
has moved forward and it's I think it's slowed down a little bit at the moment but it moves forward again um, it will become more important and I suppose then the the, the other um, element of, of, of the conversation is, is what happens next um, the new king uh, have, did, have you ever met the new king um, what do you make of the new king yeah um, again I've been fortunate I've met lots of members of the royal family the, the main members um, and uh, met Prince Charles as he was then um, and uh, he was actually in Douglas uh, on Britannia and we had a reception we were there and in fact my myself and my wife Rachel uh, we spent quite a bit of time talking to him and he's very relaxing he was very down to earth very interested in things as we all know he was interested in continues I'm sure to be interested in the environment and how things were changing how things were de developing um, so very relaxing to talk to and very interesting to to speak with he he was interested in the Isle of Man again well briefed they know a lot about it so like anybody in their position they they get a good briefing first um, but he also had quite a bit of interest about Tinwald how it operated um, so very pleasant very easy to talk to and I think he will be uh, he will be a good king I think he will be uh, very much take up the role in a way that we would expect and I think he will uh, develop and continue his mother's legacy but in a different way and I think that's what people would expect. Because of course because he is the longest um, heir to the throne that there's ever been I, I understand mm. uh, he has uh, in, in, you know, in, engaged in, in various things particularly uh, sort of political uh, re politically related things um, and of course all that will now have to stock oh yes absolutely and and there won't be a problem he will he knows his role um it's like all of us you know it, you know if you're not if you don't have a certain responsibility you're freer to do what you want to do because th that's what life allows you when you step into the next stage as he will now as has now not will now has now stepped into the uh, stage of being king then of course how he operates how he is seen how he represents uh, britain uh, will be different and he will do it I think very well and of course the uh, you know, from the personal side of all of this um, effectively he's just lost his his mother his mm. very elderly uh, mother who's been with him for a very very long time um, but immediately the, you know, the following day he has to assume uh, a, a, a huge responsibility well yes I mean he assumes the responsibility as soon as she died um, and he became king immediately. So, I mean, um, yes, they have to move into that, but, I mean, they are aware of that. I mean, whatever happens, the royal family is structured the way it is, um, and as head of state, he, he takes over that role and uh, moves on. Um, but he will feel like any of us when we lose a parent. I mean, it's a difficult time. Um, no matter what your role is in life, your family is different, and uh, I'm sure we all recognise that he and his family... Um, will feel like any other family the loss of somebody who's very important to them and next steps then for the Isle of Man what what happens next what needs to happen constitutionally well um, I was involved in this when I was uh, speaker um, and uh, we went through procedures at that stage um, and there are set down procedures where um, the new king will be proclaimed on Tinwald Hill um, and there is a, basically a sitting of Tinwald on Tinwald Hill. It, it will actually be a, a unique occasion for many because the Queen has been Queen 
uh, for 70 years, so none of us have known anyone different, or very few people on the island will have known anyone different as the monarch. And here's an opportunity to see what is quite a special or maybe brief but special occasion where um, there will be a, a announcements and speeches made by the dignitaries such as the chief minister, president of Tinwald and so on. Uh, and that will be unique for many people because, um, you know, how long uh, Charles III reigns over Britain, we don't know. Um, but there may well be uh, many who will never have the opportunity to see such an event again. So it will be a special event and I hope many people go to see it because it's so special. And I suppose then finally uh, sort of reflections on those conversations that you had with the late uh, Queen. Um, what, what what sort of impression did she, she give? What uh, uh, lasting memories would you say you have? Well, the lasting memories are somebody who was uh, very gracious, very courteous, um, was very conscious that you would be feeling nervous um, and, and apprehensive, you know, those sort of words. Um, because you were a bit on edge because suddenly you were meeting the Queen um, and nobody can hide from that and, and you'd see it no matter how uh, important the person she was meeting, it, it was the Queen. Um, but she always um, would put you at ease quite quickly um, because she would just talk to you and, and uh, she would know her subject and ask you something that basically meant you responded easily. Um, it was an issue you knew about so you actually felt comfortable. Um, and it was always a great privilege to meet her. And I think the one thing that sticks in my mind, and, and especially you know since uh, the Queen passed, is that what she demonstrated in her life, I believe, is how important um, it is for people in public office, which of course she she was. I mean, the, the monarch is in in a public office. Um, she's doing public service to her country, and that actually goes down through then the political system as well. And I think she demonstrated quite clearly that it's not you that's important, it's the people that you are representing, or in her case, um, her subjects. Um, and, and she always gave that impression that what mattered was the people and the country. And I think there's many who can learn from that. And I think um, that is something that's important. And certainly in my political time, that was always at the forefront of my thoughts. What mattered to me was the Isle of Man and what mattered to me was the people. And that's why I wanted to serve them. And I think she was great at demonstrating that. And, and I think a lot of people can learn on how she did it. Former Minister and long-serving MHK, Peter Caron recognised the family role the Queen played. Obviously, it's a great shame for anyone to lose their mother, grandmother. You know, um, what what does uh, shine out from the, the British Queen is the fact that she was about service and not self-service. And I think that's got to be recognised as, as important. I mean, today, the royals can't get away with what they used to get away with years ago. Um, but she was one that had an unblemished situation. And and as as far as you're concerned, I mean, did were you ever uh, did you ever actually get to meet the Queen or uh, any of the royals during your parliamentary uh, career? Yeah, quite often. I didn't particularly. I wasn't particularly bothered. But the situation is, is that you've got to give respect for people who do service. What we've got to try and get in public life that we that they they people at the top serve are not self served. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that government needs to have a real good think about, you know, as far as that's concerned. And uh, as, as far as the, the new king, um, 
is is he going to be a good king do you think I wouldn't know, as I say. What I would rather see is get away from that. I think the more important issue for the Isle of Man is not to, to allow the issue of our individual right to, to the core to human rights, which has been a major factor in sorting out a lot of the uh, injustices on the island. And, uh, you know, you, you had a... a, a um uh, you were on record as, as standing respectfully for the British national anthem, but or the royal anthem as we call it, but uh, not actually singing it. Yeah, well, that was my stance. There was outrage about it, but the reality is, when they tried to force them not to use it, I was equally as 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 against that. It's like Timmel Day when I first came elected to the House of Keys. It was more like an English Colony Day. Um, there was hardly any Manx. There was very much to do with the culture of the Isle of Man. That has all changed because of the likes of the Select Committee. I, I wish the Ch Charles well as far as it's concerned because they're in the terrible times. Because of the moment when you look at the UK, when, you ha when we talk about poverty, and we still have poverty on the island, but compared to Britain, I never thought in 40 years time from starting in politics that we'd see a situation where the poorer are worse off in, in the United Kingdom than they are here. And that is an indictment on, on the present political structure over there. The thing is, I look at the UK government now and, I, and the, the policies of the United Kingdom government reminds me of what, what got me into politics in the first place. Crony capitalism postcode justice and the way the Tory party are giving out contracts for their mates, uh, directorships and that's something and I hope that the, the, the royal family can be some sort of marker of morality about protecting the, the rights of the, the weak and the poor in, in the United Kingdom. That was former MHK Peter Caron. Judith Lay caught up with Bishop Peter, leader of the Church of England in the Isle of Man. There's an absolute authenticity there and integrity and integrity of character. And maybe that's a lesson for our times as well. You know, even perhaps for those who wouldn't share her Christian faith, if one were to say, well, there is here an absolute integrity of behaviour and a sense of commitment to those values that, that we see as being vital to our lives, then we stand by those. That's a wonderful example to give. And, you know, you're right about whether or not one believes in the monarchy. And there are many who, who don't. Some are quite opposed to it and some are quite indifferent to it. But if you set all that aside, as an admirable person, she is a source of inspiration. She, she, she's had some horrible times in, in the 70 years, hasn't she? A lot of family problems, a lot of personal sadness to bear. And forgiveness is something else that she's talked a lot about. The, the power and the, the, the necessity for forgiveness. And, and that is something that all of us find a bit tricky sometimes, isn't it? It is. I suppose if, you know, if you've lived that long and you've lived through war and you remember your country being at war and indeed you were part of it, and yet at the same time you have an international and global role to play, then, then there is a sense in which you, you can't, you know, you, you, you can't not forgive, you can't retain grudges. You have to you have to look for the best in human nature and to hope and imagine that that best may triumph over over, over human failure and, and indeed over evil and where there has been evil and where there has been disappointment, to be able to forgive that, to to come up above it 
uh, and still to exemplify those things around around hope. That's just that's just really important. And again, I suppose when a when a human life comes to an end, no matter how long or how short it's been you know there's that that phrase we sometimes say you know life's too short well life is short actually even if it's 96 years it will pass quickly um, and it is too short for us to bear grudges or to nurse unhappiness or hurt or hatred of, of others um, and I think there's a generosity of nature that we saw there in in her late majesty which again can be a source of inspiration and encouragement to us all. There have been a number of people who have said, don't let's talk about duty. She did her duty. It was her desire, even before she was crowned queen, on her 21st birthday in 1947, when she was still Princess Elizabeth, she said, I want to serve. I see my life as a life of service. And there's a big difference between service and duty, isn't there? There is. Um, service, serving requires humility, it requires graciousness, it requires the will actually to do it rather than, as you say, just do, doing a duty because it is there. So I think, I mean, I'd agree with all of that. And at this point, I would really want to offer a couple of thoughts, really. One is is just deep gratitude, deep gratitude for what has been and to let all of that settle and take its course. And we will continue to reflect on it for for years to come and also you know to pray clearly for our new sovereign our new king who steps into role at a an odd sort of time but brings deep gifts and deep deep wisdom into that role and i hope and pray most earnestly really that 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 his reign will be as graced and as blessed as that of his mother that was bishop peter after the break i catch up with david ashford mhk David Ashford, MHK, received an honour for the role he played during COVID. Yes, it's a momentous and very sad and solemn time as well. Um, Her late Majesty the Queen was on the throne for 70 years. I mean, there's no one really under the age of 80 who will remember any other reign, really. Um, And she linked everything from a few years after the First World War right up to the modern day. And the changes that she saw during her reign were absolutely fundamental. Um, society as a whole is fundamentally different to when the Elizabethan age began. Yes, and and even, I suppose, the the, the most hardened Republican must uh, recognise that uh, tremendous uh, length of service that uh, that, uh, the the Queen gave uh, to the people, both of the United Kingdom and indeed of the Isle of Man. Well, I I think that was one of the unique things about Her Late Majesty in the fact that I think she endeared a lot of respect, regardless of people's personal views, whether someone was a supporter of the monarchy, as I am, um, to someone who's an outright Republican who believes... There's no role for the monarch, but I think she personally endeared a lot of respect. And I think uh, everyone across the nation will be very saddened to hear of her passing thoughts, obviously, with the royal family and the new king at this sad time. And it, it is, you know, again, uh, somebody like me who's, whose passion is about history, it's, uh, it's such a, a, I suppose it's a marking perhaps of a, of a pass, passing of a, of a whole era, really, isn't it? 
Well, it is. I mean, it's a second Elizabethan age. I mean, that's what it's been referred to by many commentators, and I think they're quite right on that. A second great Elizabethan age has come to an end. Um, most of us around today, unless something radically changes, will never see a queen again. And um, the next three people in the line of succession are all male. Um, we'll have three kings, um, and we'll never see a queen in our lifetime again. And it's just strange to think of it because Her Late Majesty was always present and at great moments throughout history of the nation. Um, she was always there with a reassuring word. We've got used to the fact that she's such a fundamental part of public life that it still seems a bit surreal that she's no longer with us. And, and how, do, how does that um, constitutional mon- monarchy work in practice in relation to the Isle of Man? So in terms of the constitutional relationship, that is obviously done through the um, through the lieutenant, lieutenant governor um, and his office and him being the representative of the Lord of Man. Um, but it works exactly the same as it does in the UK. Ultimately, all of our Timwalds, all of our Timwald Acts um, require royal assent in order to go onto the statute books. And I know that the Queen has visited the island many times. Um, the one time I actually met the Queen was when I was living in the UK um, for a while. Actually, I didn't meet her during the time that she came to the island. But I know from people who did that she always had a great interest in the island and really took seriously um, her role as Lord of Man. And I believe Phil Youp uh, on occasion met the Queen, I think, in your first parliamentary term, was it? Yes, that's right. Uh, I uh, I was uh, newly elected in uh, at a by-election. It was the, the May uh, 2003 by-election and the Queen presided over Tinwald uh, that year, um, and actually, uh, maybe this is uh, this is uh, poetic justice. I don't know, but uh, it, it took um, quite a bit of persuading uh, of the various security people to allow me in <laughs> to, to to engage in my first Tinwald sitting uh, because I, I didn't have the right paperwork or, or I wasn't on their list or some such. <laughs> well, that's a, that, a bit being barred from taking your own seat in the uh, chamber. But I mean, I believe you also have met, of course, the um, His Majesty the King, as he as he now is. Um, it was His Majesty who um, did the ceremony for my MBE, um, and in fact, we spoke about the island and the fact of his desire to actually come back and visit because he said it had been quite a few years since he'd last been to the island, and he was keen to know what was happening on the island and um, you know how we were doing. Yes, yeah, uh, he was, uh, certainly the last time I recall, uh, um, he came over to uh, the island. Uh, I was uh, designated as the, the minister, the the contact minister, uh, in it because he was particularly interested in uh, sustainable um, ways of living, um, the, 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 the food uh, sector on the island particularly. Uh, he had quite an interest, well, uh, he has quite an interest, as is widely known in terms of organic farming, and uh, uh, he, he also is a, a very passionate con- conservationist. So he was uh, particularly interested, and indeed uh, we ended up uh, having a conversation at a conference in uh, London uh, as a result of the work the Isle of Man was doing to protect our fisheries and indeed the work we were doing out in Sierra Leone in terms of fisheries protection out there. So, uh, yeah, he, he certainly, to, to me, and, you know, I, I, it's, I think most, it's not an open secret uh, or a closed secret um, that uh, I'm not the biggest supporter of the monarchy, but, uh, yeah, he, he was a very decent uh, human being and uh, seems to be to care about things that do matter. 
And I think, you know, when you reflect on that, in fact, if you look back over His Majesty's uh, term as Prince of Wales, the longest serving heir to the throne um, in history of Britain, um, you actually look at some of his ideas, which at the time he took quite a lot of stick for in the 80s and early 90s for coming out with the conservation issues and challenging what at the time was, I think, you know, the the views around um, climate change. And actually now... It's very mainstream. So it's sort of we've caught up, I think, um, as politicians with what uh, His Majesty was saying for many, many years. Do you think that, because obviously uh, King Charles, as he now is, uh, has had a, a, a mixed review as uh, as Prince of Wales. Uh, there are, it's fair to say that mainstream uh, media and public opinion hasn't been wholly in favour. Uh, do you think that's going to change now that he uh, effectively has to relinquish the more public um, sort of campaigning that perhaps he's done in the past? I think it will. I think it will massively change. And in fact, His Majesty has pretty much signalled that himself, that the role of monarch is very, very different. Um, I've always viewed, you know, the role of Prince of Wales, of heir to the throne, as a bit of a strange one, really. And it must be really, really strange for the office holder. There's no playbook to actually say how you should do it, what you should do, how you should use your time, what you should be involved in, what you shouldn't. Every single occupant of the role, if you go back through history, has had to find their own way. Um, And if you you look back even to the second longest serving Prince of Wales, who became went on to become Edward VII, Queen Victoria's son. Um, he had a bit of a mixed review as Prince of Wales as well. But he actually, when he became king, um, was seen as a very, very good monarch um, for the 10 years that he was in the role. And I think equally things have now changed for his majesty. And he won't be able to do the same level of activism that he's done previously because the monarch holds no no personal opinions in public um, and I think he will adapt to that um, I think he's done an excellent job as heir to the throne in managing to raise many issues and actually support many organisations as well the number of organisations that he's been able to support either financially or through the Prince's Trust or through the Duchy of Cornwall has been absolutely amazing um, countless and I'm sure he'll be able to continue that level of support in a very different way as monarch and of course an incredibly difficult act to, to follow. Um, he, he already has a, a certain amount of political baggage uh, that comes from the, the, his, his, his years campaigning for various things. Um, and he takes over from someone who had an exemplary record. Um, is it a dangerous time, do you think, for the monarchy? I, I think obviously it's a change um, and you know after 70 years of the same monarch it's going to be disconcerting to have that change. Um, I would say it's an impossible act to follow. I don't, I don't think you can compare two reigns if you go back through history um, and I do like my history as you know we've had many discussions around it. Every reign's different. Every monarch does things differently um, and you know to follow a queen who came to the throne at um, 25 it was when the queen actually ascended the throne um, you know, it, it, and she's had this long reign, the longest in British history, um, second longest reigning monarch in the history um, after Louis XIV as the only one who actually reigned longer, um, Louis XIV of France, and he came to the throne of France as a child. So it's, you know, it, it's all change. But I think that His Majesty will find his own unique style of doing things. Um, but it is a radical 
change um, and I think that Her Majesty, Her Late Majesty will be a very difficult if not impossible act to follow. It will be a very, very different world without her. Well, we're now, what are we, two days uh, since the uh, announcement of uh, the death of uh, the Queen. Um, what, what's in store, I suppose, for the island over, over the, the, the coming uh, weeks? Well, over the next few weeks, it's a chance for reflection. Um, and I think that's how it's been referred to in the national media in the UK as well. Um, a chance to reflect on just... Uh, all the different changes that happened under what was a phenomenal reign of the her late Majesty the Queen, um, and also a chance to reflect to the future, um, a very different future without the Queen, who's been a sort of national emblem. And I think one of the most poignant things was actually seeing the reaction around the world, even in countries that you know you wouldn't necessarily think are that much associated with the British monarchy. Um, the outpouring has been fundamental. The flag over the White House being lowered to half-mast. Um, I, I, someone somewhere will prove me wrong, but I can't think of the last occasion where that was done for a head of state that wasn't an American head of state. And uh, on that particular matter, the, the, the Americans, um, I, I heard somewhere that the Queen had reigned for a quarter of the existence of the of the American Republic. Yeah, that'd be pretty much correct. And in fact, uh, you know, if you think back, her first president was Harry Truman, and she's met every president since there, other than Lyndon Johnson. Um, Lyndon Johnson was the only one that she never actually uh, physically met. Um, but she's seen all of them come and go: Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, you know, Barack Obama. The changes, even not just in Britain but around the world, um, and. And the, the, the link with history that Her Late Majesty had is absolutely phenomenal. And as I say, I think it's a reign that we will probably never see the like of again. It really is the end of a second great Elizabethan age. So we're effectively two days in. Is it a 10-day formal um, uh, period of national mourning? So it normally is the 10. Um, obviously, Buckingham Palace will announce the wider um, timetable because it all evolves around the state funeral as well. Um, His, His Majesty stated that um, the, the state of mourning for the royal family will be in place till a week after the funeral. Um, so that was the first of the announcements, but announcements will follow pretty quickly now in the coming days, and it will all evolve around the timetable of when that state funeral will be held, the first state funeral in the UK since Winston Church in 1965. And uh, Ian, in terms of your constituents, I mean, have, have you had any significant contact with them? I mean, what, how, how do you think they're, they're feeling at the moment? I, th- I think for most people, it's just profound sadness and shock. Um, like I say, the Queen has been this unifying force. And like I say, whether you're a monarchist or you're a Republican, um, you know, she's just been there. And at times where there's been difficulties and fundamental change, she's always had the words to say. And she's just people have just grown up with her as this figure there in our lives. And now that she's gone, I think, you know, we all knew she was getting older um, and the health problems that come with that. But, you know, it, it just seems surreal that she's actually passed. Uh, I think a bit of all of us had that little bit of us that thought she was going to go on forever. Lewis Foster spoke to President of Tynwald, Lawrence Skelly, on Friday and heard his reaction to the news of the monarch passing and what happens next in the Isle of Man. Well, the reaction is uh, is, is a shock, really. And uh, then I think it's a, a point of uh, reflection to understand exactly what a remarkable lady she was. Um, this was a queen who was a queen of 
56 Commonwealth nations, and we on the Isle of Man regard her as the Lord of Man, representing somewhere in the region of 85,000 people here, but 2.5 billion people around the world. So uh, it will be felt uh, for, for an awful long time. So uh, a shock, really. And I think respect uh, for her and what she achieved in her extraordinary life in public service. We've seen this morning pictures of Tim, of the flag at half-mast on Timwald Hill. Just tell us what you think this will mean to the people of the Isle of Man. Yes, I was glad to see that we were managed to do that last night. And, uh, and I think that's sort of a reflection of uh, how... Uh, the Queen is thought of on the Isle of Man. We were very fortunate to to have her visit the island, I believe it's five times, uh, and uh, once, of course, which was the big one, which was the 1979 Our Millennium, uh, where she uh, where she attended the uh, the celebrations uh, here on the island. So, um, and, and I think, you know, that's another point, really. There's so many generations will have so many different memories of the Queen um, and, uh, you know, the most recent one, which was uh, 2003, you know, there'll be a lot of people will, uh, will, will be able to reflect on that and how much she, uh, you know, I think respected, you know, the Isle of Man and, and the people too. In your capacity uh, in politics over the last, last few years, have, did you have a chance to meet the Queen? Sadly not, but, uh, but I think like many people, I think they, uh, they, they have that sort of, um, I guess, that respect and, and that admiration, really. And I think anyone in public service uh, will admire her for what she has done as a, a life of public service, uh, like no other. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And from that point of view, you know, I think, you know, when you think of some of the difficult uh, periods, because when you're in public service, you always have difficult periods and how she has, uh, has as you know, as being respectful. And what I would regard is as uh, also being a unifier. Uh, the one that jumps out of me is uh, when she went to Ireland and uh, how she uh, treated the uh, uh, the Irish uh, president and speaking I- Irish and then went to the north of Ireland as well to uh, to, to meet them. And uh, that was, I think, a, a, a real mark of how she tried to unify and reconcile um, issues. And, and that's a mark of, of a great person, without doubt. And, you know, I think that's what uh, people will think of her as Elizabeth the Great. And the now King Charles will be heading down to London today. There is obviously a process that follows on from now. Just what can we see on the Isle of Man today and in the days ahead? Well, there will be uh, two proclamations. Uh, You'll be hearing from uh, Government House uh, very shortly, I'm sure, with regards to the uh, first proclamation, which will be uh, by uh, His Excellency uh, Sir John Lorimer. And then there is also a second ceremonial proclamation, which is uh, part of, of course, Timwald, which dates back to the 1830s, I believe, whereas we will have a formal sitting of Timwald Court uh, on Timwald Hill, and uh, that will be the second proclamation, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to determine a date on that uh, very shortly and make that announcement too. Our first Chief Minister, Miles Walker, had the privilege of meeting the Queen on three occasions. Chanel Suko talked to him about his experiences and asked his initial thoughts on the Queen's passing. I suppose it was inevitable that this day would arrive. I think the good things about it, if there are good things, is that she died in a place that she loved. Um, She died, we assume, in her own bed, and she was only terribly ill for a couple of days, and I think that's a great blessing. Being the island's first chief minister, did you have the opportunity to meet the Queen? 
I did. I met her actually on three occasions, I think. First one was in 1979 when she came over for the Millennium Tinwald and presided over Tinwald. And uh, she was a wonderful guest on that day. She had her carriages, she had her horses. They were brought over from from London. Um, a lot of pomp, a lot of ceremony, but it was just a wonderful occasion. And uh, we had lunch at Government House in a marquee. And, uh, yeah, a fantastic visit. Um, she enjoyed it, and I think, well, I know, the Isle of Man enjoyed it as well. There were terrific crowds at Tinwald Hill that day. It was wonderful. Um, and then she came along in August 1989 um, with the Duke of Edinburgh. They arrived on Britannia um, in Peel. Duke of Edinburgh um, went on with myself to open the extension to the Douglas Power Station. And the Queen, Her Majesty, went with Governor New uh, to the Manx Museum and opened the extension and the, um, yeah, the large extension to the Manx Museum, which had just been, been completed. And then in the afternoon... Um, we had the good fortune um, to accompany her to the Royal Agricultural Show, which at that time was held in, in Douglas, where the NSC is now. And uh, we had a, a wonderful afternoon. She, she enjoyed um, seeing the stock. She enjoyed the horses, the livestock, enjoyed meeting um, all their owners. And then she presented the Rose Bowl um, to the to the best in show, and it was a wonderfully relaxed afternoon where she was able to express her views on on, on quite a personal uh, level, um, and just loved agriculture. She was interested. Um, she was a fantastic guest on that occasion, and then we were invited that evening um, to a dinner on board the Yacht Britannia. Um, she landed in Peel when um, when she was doing her official bits during the day, uh, Britannia sailed round to, to Douglas. And so after the show, um, she went back to Britannia. And that evening, we were invited to um, to dinner on board, which was, again, just one of those occasions that will never be repeated. Among those present to listen to the bells of St George's Church chime at midday on Friday were Tim Glover, MHK, and MLC Diane Kelsey. They told Chanel Suko they wanted to be part of the moment. We've not seen this in our lifetime. Um, there's always been just Her Majesty the Queen. Now we've got uh, His Majesty the King, King Charles. And we wanted just to hear the bells. We're both uh, political representatives within Cabinet Office. There's a great deal of work, as you can imagine, going on to put uh, various aspects of the whole protocol in place now. Uh, and we wanted some fresh air and to listen to the bells, really. That's the honest truth. And, and exactly what Tim says. And uh, But in addition for me, because of the, my link with the armed forces, uh, 23 years serving... Uh, Her Majesty the Queen in the Armed Forces. This is quite a seismic change for, for me and for all of the Armed Forces community, veterans all serving, and families. So for me, this was to come out, get the fresh air, listen to the bells, but also as a mark of respect. 
I think people have been surprised at just how hard hit they've been by uh, the events of the last 24 hours and uh, I think it is a sombre time, there is a sombre mood around, there is a period of reflection but also uh, of immense pride in the life that uh, Her Majesty led. Um, just impeccable service and duty to to the nation and to the Commonwealth. That's, I think she, above all monarchs, has been uh, really savvy in the change from empire to Commonwealth and the way she's in integrated what could have been awkward situations and made it into one big family. And I think uh, there's going to be so many achievements she's going to be remembered for, but that will be high up there. Yes. So sombre, uh, very proud of her loyalty and her duty and service to others. Um, and I'm also here because later on today we'll be uh, seeing the funeral of uh, Charles Wilson, who, you know, embodied an awful lot of what we will be talking about, the, the Queen in a, in a world sense. Charles did an awful lot of that for the Isle of Man as well. So I, I'd want to put on record my respects and, uh, and, and thanks for all the, all the work that Charles Wilson's done over the years. Bernadette Williams, MBE, was sword bearer for Tinwald for 25 years. She says the Queen was ever gracious. Both me and the family are deeply saddened by the passing of Her Majesty the Queen. I mean, she was a constant in our lives. I mean, she was always there. She was always calm. She was always smiling and she was ever gracious. I mean, death is inevitable, but I think we all hope that she'd go on forever. And I did have the privilege of meeting her several times over the years in my role both with the Royal British Legion and as the sword bearer. And Claire is now experiencing the same things now that she is the national standard bearer for the RBL. Obviously, you led her up Tinwald Hill. I know I touched on it before. Is there anything you remember about meeting her at that time? You know, people I've spoken to this morning said she had this really kind air about her and a oh. sense of humour and really knew about the Isle of Man. She had an aura. She had an aura of calmness. You didn't feel... Well, I, I, she didn't make me feel nervous. And I don't think she made anybody else feel nervous. She was just very... She kind of had a reassuring way about her, as they all do, to be honest. And she was with Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. And their role is to put you at their ease. And they did it with ease. And it was a huge privilege, a huge privilege. And, yeah, it's something that you can't buy. That brings to a close this programme of reflection on the life of Queen Elizabeth II and the expectation for King Charles III. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Goromayu, Sungeishchakrom. Thanks for listening. <laughs>